Welcome to Revitalize and Restart, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of church revitalization, restart, and renewal. We invite you to listen as a host and some of the best practitioners in the field of church revitalization and restart discuss issues facing the church in America. And now, here is your host, Dr. Steve Sells, author, conference speaker, and president of Operation Transformation. Welcome to another installment of Revitalize and Restart, a podcast is brought to you by Operation Transformation, a church revitalization group based in Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Steve Sales, your host, and it's a pleasure to have with us today Dr. Gordon Penfold. I just appreciate this, brother. I met him through uh, some other church revitalizers, and he and I have the same heartbeat about restarting churches. Dr. Penfold has a BS and an MS from Colorado State University. He has a THM from Dallas Seminary and a DMN from Talbot Theological Seminary uh, in Biola. He's pastored four turnaround churches along with uh, four other intentional interims. He's trained pastors really basically all over the world, United States, Ukraine, Russia, Armenia, and on and on. He has uh, written Revision, The Key to Transforming Your Church, put out by Baker Books. Uh, he co-authored that with uh, with uh, Aubrey Moffers. Uh, everybody knows Aubrey Moffers, and, uh, and uh, he co-authored a book, Pastor Unique, Becoming a, a Turnaround Leader, uh, put out by Westbow. And his third book is Restart Churches, a, Pro, a Proven Strategy to Restore uh, Vibrant Ministry in Your Church. That's where we came in contact with this whole thing. So uh, Gordon serves as the Executive Director of Fresh Start Ministries. Uh, it assists plateaued, declining, conflicted churches, helping them discover new life and vibrancy in ministry. And thank you for being with us today. We're going to be talking about the topic that is his passion and my passion, and that is this thing of the subject of restarting uh, churches that are plateaued and declining. Welcome, Dr. Penfold. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Dr. Sells. Thank you for the for inviting me. By the way, if you can enable the screen sharing, that would be helpful. Okay, brother, we're <laughs> going to do it right now. So, uh, yeah, and there's one other ministry, uh, and it's a primate ministry that I'm involved in. It's called Turnaround uh, Pastor Incorporated, and we train and equip pastors for uh, to become revitalizers, and that includes restarting uh, because most most pastors are not able to uh, to do that. Let's see. Am I okay. doing this correctly? You're, you're, you're sharing your screen, and now I need to share mine. Okay, good enough. There we go. There we go. Okay. All right. Um, well, as we begin today, uh, the processes uh, for restart are quite simple. There's a preparation, there's a transition time, and there's a launch time. And uh, uh, we're not going to go into that much today, but that's the three steps uh, essential for restarting a church. Have to prepare the church. Church has to recognize that they're in trouble. Then there's a transition phase as they uh, begin to make the uh, necessary changes to relaunch, to restart. And then there's the launch, which is very much akin to a church plant, but it's different because you you have a building and you have people and you have some resources left over from the original congregation. So um, as we begin, 
I want to look at some primary uh, steps that need to take place during the restart. And as we begin, I would like to talk about four bottlenecks of ministry. First off, one of the bottlenecks could be a denominational leader. And I've run into denominational leaders, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're the bottleneck. You know, they're the stopper, yeah. and they're not going to let things happen. Uh, they're good old boys, and they just want, uh, they just want the system to continue on. A second one can be the pastor themselves, and we run into this quite often, that pastors, uh, they get tired, they get worn out, they're stuck, maybe they're not a good fit, um, maybe they've been in a church too long. There's So the pastors can be uh, the second bottleneck. The third bottleneck, and we run into this frequently as well, is the, actually the church leadership team. Yeah. Uh, working with a church in Pennsylvania some time back, and the elders of the church would not allow, allow the pastor to lead at all. Mm. They wouldn't allow him to lead at all, and he got really frustrated. He finally left, yeah. and that church is probably going to die because uh, those leaders were so controlling. And then the fourth roadblock, or the fourth bottleneck itself and a roadblock, can actually be the congregation. And that's when there's the greatest difficulty, because if the congregation is not willing to change— they don't have a sense of urgency. And John Cotter would say that uh, before change can ever occur, there has to be a sense of urgency. And unfortunately, I see a lot of churches that have no urgency, and uh, they're just content. To, uh, they have money in the bank. And one of my friends who's a director of missions up in, uh, in North Carolina, um, Kelton Hinton uh, in Johnston County, uh, said, you know, the last indicator of trouble is is a uh, is the bank account because a lot of uh, stuck churches they have money, people give, but they're they're not moving anywhere. So so the denominational leader, and it, depending on the denomination, the do, denominational leader can have a great impact there, especially if it's a, a more of an Episcopal kind of a leadership where there's top down uh, leadership, the pastor the church board, and then the congregation. Now, as we look at uh, um, steps taken in a restart, often there's a change in pastoral leadership. For our book, Gary, uh, Gary Taylor, uh, did, he, he did research on 45 restart churches, and that was kind of the, the backbone, backbone of the research. But in a large percentage of the churches, there was a change in pastoral leadership. And he did not ask the question, uh, how long have you been in the church? Because some, some pastors came in and they did a restart, but the pastor may have only been there a year or so and said, we've got to do something different. So a change in pastoral leadership is often essential, especially if a church has been stuck for a yeah. long time. And I often say this way, uh, the difference between a rut and a grave is only in its distance, <laughs> in its length. That's true. Uh, and somebody said, well, you know, graves are usually deeper than a rut. I said, well, up on the Alcan Highway, they could be very similar to one another. <laughs> so a uh, change of pastoral leadership is often essential. And uh, when we do assessments in churches, for example, oftentimes the pastor will say, I cannot lead what needs to happen. I need to move on. Yeah. So change of pastoral leadership is a key thing. Uh, secondly, is a change in church leadership. Uh, if you have a church that's uh, really stuck, and if you have a controlling board of whatever whatever variety you have, or you have a controlling matriarch or patriarch, they're not going to let the church move forward. Uh, I was uh, spent some time with some Wesleyans up in near Upper New York State uh, several years ago, 
And one of the guys was in a church, and uh, the church was, they were reaching people. They had reached like uh, 70 or 80 people. It was a church of 55 people. They had reached 70, 80 people in, in five years. But the matriarch of the church, uh, her, her son was the associate pastor. Uh-huh. And she didn't like what was going on, and uh, she finally left and took uh, 45 people with her. Wow. And the church never recovered. But uh, this church was a very missional church. They were reaching a lot of people for Christ. They, I think they had 80 conversions and 75 baptisms, which is really significant. Yes. But we would say this was a church in duress, well. because of, and it was because of the uh, established leadership. In that case, it wasn't the board. It was... It was the matriarch of the church. Uh, often uh, a, a, a church will need a new name, yeah. uh, because, especially if there's a bad reputation. And it's amazing. How can a church have a bad reputation? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. The last full-time pastor that I had when we arrived at the church, the church did not have a good reputation. They were known to be rather snobbish, yeah. rather... Uh, uh, uppity and uh, self-righteous yeah and i didn't know that going in but uh and we tried to change the name there and they that didn't fly it uh, it was not necessarily a restart it was really a revitalization effort but this church had gone from 272 members down to 70 over a period of 40 years it's like having a slow leak in your tire nobody noticed right but uh we had actually had the church we circulated a a 10 of gary mcintosh's book beyond the first visit. And one of the deacons came to me one day and he said, well, you know, pastor, uh, we always had a lot of visitors. We just never paid any attention to them. And I thought, well, duh. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. Duh. <laughs> and, and so, but we had, it took us eight years and the reputation of the church changed. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, and there's a, one of our pastors, a, a dear friend of mine came to a boot camp. Her name is uh, Deb Winters. And she was pastor of Madison Avenue Church of God in, uh, in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when she got there, she said, you know, we have to reach these people. Well, the church was located in the midst of uh, the, uh, uh, well, it was, a, it was a drug addiction haven. Yeah, yeah. And I know that were, area. Okay. And they had more uh, heroin overdoses yes. uh, per capita than any place in uh, in America. Yeah. And so they began to minister and try and uh, meet people. And some of the church people said, uh, this comes back to the change in church leadership. They all tie, kind of tie together. But uh, these folks started coming to the church, and they started doing uh, Celebrate Recovery. And one guy said, came into the church, and he, said, or he came up to her, and he said, listen, we don't want them stealing stuff from upstairs. So I'll sit on the steps with my AK-47 to oh, make wow. sure nobody goes upstairs when we're having these meetings downstairs. Well, <laughs> half of the original people walked out yeah. when they started reaching drug addicts and prostitutes. Yeah. Yeah. So they finally went down, bought a blue tarp, and they covered up their church sign that said Madison Avenue Church of God. Wow. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a few weeks later, two months later, they got a new sign, put it in, and it said, uh, Transformation Church, because yeah. they wanted the sign to rec- uh, to represent what was going on what on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And people came up and said, are you guys a new church? And she yeah. said, no. We said, well, that old, that old sign you had, that just, that was the church for old white people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, uh, it's what you're saying, it, you know, a little while ago we were talking about before we came on to, to 
to this recording, uh, a church here that I worked with, uh, we took some teams in there several uh, Saturdays before we tried to do any reopening, and and uh, we went through the community. Now, this is a church that that at one time was running 500 people, mm-hmm. and uh, when they called me, they had uh, 14 people coming. Wow! And uh, the building the building is huge, and uh, so we don't want they wanted to do a restart, and and in that situation. Um, we really needed to get rid of the leadership as far as the pastor was concerned, because he was 95 to 99% the problem. So he left, but we, we went into that community uh, three or four Saturdays prior to doing any kind of uh, thoughts of reopening. And Mm -hmm. we knocked on doors. I mean, we had four or five teams just knocking on doors saying, you know, there's coming a new church uh, soon. And every single one of the people that we talked to, my wife and I visited, I don't know, probably 45, 50 homes. Every single door we knocked on, they said, this is the first, we've lived here all of our lives. This is the first time anyone from that church has ever tried to contact us. Mm-hmm. And we just decided they don't care about us, so we're not going. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I thought, this is a prime opportunity for yes, someone absolutely. to come in and care about them and show yes. them that the church really does change. So I agree with you 100%. Uh, the, the name of the church, we changed the name of the church because nobody would come to it. Yeah, It was a, quote, First Baptist Church, and at the time it was more elitist than it was anything else. Sure. Uh, if, you, if you were a certain uh, uh, level of society, you weren't really welcomed. Uh, yes. And and what happened is a big industry closed down, and all of the people that had been leading that church moved away mm-hmm. and left the church. So I, I agree, and and you know there's there's got to be sometimes you've got to change the name of the church. If you don't, it's not going to fly. That's right. Well, uh, and another thing that really gets the hackles up on the back of my neck is when the people talk about those people. We don't want those people. <laughs> yes. Oh man, yeah. I start seeing red when I hear that. Yeah, and and so that's a reflection of uh, just the the whole uh, character of the church, the culture of the church. Yeah, and, and so in this case, in in uh, I was going to say Madison, West Virginia. It's not. It's where. Um, uh, senior moment. Um, yeah, I understand. Anyway, West Virginia. Uh, but this church is, uh, they're running about 60 now. Almost all of them are new believers. Mm-hmm. And many of them are former prostitutes and addicts yeah. who have come to Christ. And uh, and so when they changed the name from Madison Avenue Church of God, Huntington, West Virginia. Huntington. It's now, it's now uh, Transformation Church. And the sign reflects what's happening on the inside. Amen. Yeah. And that's, it's really good. Um, and she would not necessarily say that it was a, a restart. It, it was a revival, but all the earmarks are there. Yes. And then there's a new structure, a new constitution. Uh, oftentimes, when we're in ministry, whenever there's a problem that comes up, what do we do? We add another page to the constitution, <laughs> and pretty soon we're like a ship that's covered with barnacles that just can't seem to make any headway. Yep. Yep. And uh, so, a new structure, new constitution needs to be streamlined. And I, I've, I, boy, have I seen that happen a lot. And uh, then there has to be a new vision or a new strategy. Yeah. Uh, people need to see 
that there's something brand new. I, I have a, a quote in here, and it's, and it's in it's in the book. <clears throat> it's on page uh, 186. It's from J. Oswald Sanders. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he talks about vision and strategy. And uh, <clears throat> in the book, we say some feel vision is overrated. However, a survey of the pages of Scripture provides an adequate demonstration that visionary leaders get things done. Yeah. From Moses to Nehemiah, from Jesus Christ to Paul, people of vision move multitudes to accomplish great work for God. And this is the quote from Sanders. Those who have most powerfully and permanently influenced their generation have been seers, people who have seen more and further than others, persons of faith, for faith is vision. Moses, one of the great leaders of all history, endured as seeing him who is invisible, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. His faith imparted vision. Elijah's servant, excuse me, Elisha's servant saw the obvious menace of the encircling army, but Elisha saw the vast invisible hosts of heaven. His faith imparted vision. And then he quotes uh, Pohat and James uh, in, in the same passage. The man of God must have insight into three, uh, into spiritual things. He must be able to see mountains filled with the horses of char- and chariots of fire. He must be able to interpret that which is written by the finger of God upon the walls of conscience. He must be able to translate the signs of the times into terms of their spiritual meaning. He must be able to draw aside now and then the curtain of things material and let mortals glimpse the spiritual glories uh, which crown the mercy seat of God. The man of God must declare the pattern that was shown him on the mount. He must utter the vision granted hit to him upon the, the Isle of Revelation. None of these things he can do without spiritual insight. And yeah. so and when we talk about the character of the pastor, this is going to come into play. But yeah. the church needs to see uh, a new vision. Uh, one of the churches uh, that I pastored, the last one, uh, the church, uh, 65% of the church was over 45 and in the community, 65% of the community was under 45. We didn't quite uh, mesh with the community. So we started a contemporary service to reach young people. And one year after we started, we looked at all the demographics in the church, and, and we filled in all of those age gaps by the grace of God. And mm-hmm. so uh, so there has to be a new vision or strategy. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, uh, Yogi Berra, the great theologian, said, when you do what you always done, to get what you always got. Always. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, let me let me go back a minute and ask you something. Um, sure. Uh, I know that uh, I studied this stuff under Tom Chaney, and, sure. and he ha- he has a system. One of the things that um, that we ran into, that I've ran into a couple of times when I've done restarts, is the churches that needed to restart had debt. And uh, and and they didn't have a pastor. I I found uh, in the work that I'm doing uh, that it's a whole lot easier to restart a church if you don't have a pastor there. But it's it's possible, I'm sure, uh, for it to be. I've just never had that situation. But the big thing that that uh, I've run into with several churches is they had debt and uh, and had very little money to pay that debt off. What, what do you what do you see about that when we come into this thing of trying to do a restart? And at the same time, too, you mentioned the Constitution and bylaws. Uh, one of the things that I found is that if you go in and change the name of the church, if you if you do all that we're talking about doing, you have to dissolve the corporation that uh, that may be there. Yeah. 
and and uh, because before you can form another one. Uh, talk to yeah. us a little bit about that. Well, you know, that's something when you and I are talking that we've not done. But, uh, I mean, if you have to redo the uh, uh, Constitution uh, and maybe move people off the board and so on, there has to be a tremendous willingness on the part of the church to take the yeah. hard steps. Yeah. And if they're, if they're not, a restart's going to fail anyway. That's true. That's true. And uh, we worked, and this is, this is long before I even thought about this. This has probably been seven, eight years ago. Uh, I, did, I was on a, an assessment team in Fort Collins, Colorado. And there was a church there, and I was quite familiar with it. I'd come to Christ when I was in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. And I was familiar with this church. It was a, a church plant off of a mothership, uh, not necessarily uh, not necessarily a great relationship between the two mm-hmm. uh, two churches. Right. Well, they, they got to the point where they, and I wrote about it in the book, but they got to the point where... Uh, they were just losing people like crazy and yeah. uh, they had put an addition on the building and, and they owed about two and a quarter million dollars Wow! for, for a church group. That's not a lot, no. uh, but they had 150 people. But after they, their third or fourth division, they were down to a hundred people and their, their uh, giving could be called abysmal at best. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is there was a church planting group, and this was kind of a combination merger restart, but there was a church planting group, couldn't find any place to meet. Uh, Fort Collins is not necessarily uh, biblically friendly. Yeah. It's a, it's a college town. And uh, they would, they had trouble meeting in schools, so they would meet in parks or wherever they could find. And somebody said, why don't you go by this church and see if uh, you could meet there? So they went and the pastor said to the uh, church planter, why don't you just uh, come and join us? He said, no, we're not going to do that. We're a church plant. We have our own philosophy of ministry and so forth. Mm-hmm. So after um, meeting there a couple months, they had, they had four uh, joint meetings and they said, we will, we will merge and do a church plant uh, with you church planters. I mean, it really was a restart yeah. uh, provided it's a hundred percent vote on both sides. Well, it was. Wow. And so wow. they, they moved in and took over. So there was a new pastor there was new leadership. They didn't bring anybody along from the old group. And they also brought along $220,000 in debt. Yeah. Yeah. That came with a package, uh-huh. but uh, they, it took them about seven years, but it's all paid off now. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And that church has already planted another church. Yeah. So uh, that, that was a case where they, they inherited the debt Yeah, and, and they were willing to do it. Now, some churches, uh, you know, depending on the denominational structure, sometimes the denomination will come in. Uh, yeah. One of the churches I wrote about in the book, uh, this church had borrowed uh, a million and a half dollars or so from the denomination to put a gym on. Mm-hmm. And But there was a lot of conflict between the pastor and the associate pastor and the youth ministry. Just, just a tremendous amount of conflict. And uh, they borrowed this money. The problem was they were about a million and a half short of what they actually needed to complete the project. So they couldn't finish the building and they couldn't move in and they couldn't pay off the debt. And uh, the, uh, one of the youth ministers had had some improper relationships with one of the youth, one of the, one of the kids and the pastor swept it under the rug because he didn't want to look bad in public. Well, when it became known, that whole thing just blew up. Oh, wow. Wow. So in that case, uh, a, a large church happens to be where my daughter and her husband and family go. My, my son-in-law's on yeah. staff there. A church of about 4,500 came in and they, they took over. The denomination said, 
you either allow Northview to take over yeah. or uh, we're going to close the building. Close the doors. And we're going to recover our investment. Yeah. The yeah. problem is up in Canada where they live, the, 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 the Canadians are not real kindly disposed towards Christianity. Yeah. And so if you lose a, a church property, it's almost impossible to get another one if you ever want to. Right, right, right. So they didn't want to sell the building. So Northview came in, and that church uh, covered the debt. Yeah. You covered yeah. a million, million and a half. But now not every church can do that. No, no. I ran into a situation in Savannah, Georgia, that we did a restart. And um, uh, they had that this church had been running 650 and through mm-hmm. they had had probably four splits uh all kinds of dissension all kinds of mm-hmm. mess and and uh they ended up with uh 35 people when they called me and wow. um 35 and a state-of-the-art building i'm talking a beautiful facility mm-hmm. they still owed 200 about two hundred and forty thousand dollars on the building and uh they couldn't pay it so we put a transition team together to to be able to to lead out in this mm-hmm. uh, restart, and I took some of the team members with me to the bank where they were paying the bills uh, of that two hundred fifty thousand on the building, and uh, they were very very good to us. They worked with us. They said, you know, we don't want to see that church go under. Uh, it was a small town. Uh, mm-hmm. We will work with you. We will do everything we can to keep from foreclosing for this to because the loan had been three million, I think, and they were down to 250,000. And so we were able to negotiate with them until we got a new church started. When we opened that church back up, we had 160 people the first Sunday and and, uh, changed the name of it and everything like that. Well, you know, our time, (laughs) Dr. Penfold has gone (laughs) already. We've got, we've got about two minutes left. And what I okay. want you to do in those two minutes. Now, what we're going to do, folks that are listening, we didn't know where near tur- covered the turf that we wanted to cover. So what we're going to do is, is I'm going to ask Dr. Penfold to share a couple of things, uh, and kind of concluding what we've talked about. And then we're going to immediately come back and record another one on, on this pretty much the same topic on this thing of restart. How's that? Okay. I want well, you to, I- if you could give us a, just a couple of minutes, a closer, uh, some things that you think, and then I'll come and close this whole thing out. Okay. Well, the number six was newer remodeled facilities or relocation. That's something that people do. And again, not only is there a fresh look with the people, but there's a fresh look with the building. Yeah. And then um, uh, we didn't find a lot of churches that closed, but some churches closed for a time. And then it's like having a grand reopening. Yeah. And uh, that gives, and I'm working with a couple of churches that have done that. And uh, mm-hmm. one of them was going to open up last Resurrection Sunday, and it's right in the middle of COVID. And they really oh, yeah. had to kick off yet. It was a mess. And then the last one is to acquire a coach, mentor, or outside advisory person or team. And uh, it's really important to have, you talked about an advisory team with that one church. It's so important to have good godly people. Sometimes you are from without, they can see things in a better light than right. those that are so close to the action. So I'll, I'll close with that. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, what we've talked about, there's, there's several different ways of going about doing restarts, but the good thing is all of it works. I think uh, we, yes. I haven't seen a model yet of restart that didn't work. And uh, like I say, I trained under Dr. Tom Cheney uh, with this whole thing of restarts and, and we do it a little bit different than other people, but, pretty much the same thing. 
Um, yes. I don't care how we do it. As long as we get the good results yes. and we're able to keep a church moving forward and, and is able to, to uh, be what God wants it to be. Well, for those that are listening to us today, uh, we've had with us Dr. Uh, Gordon Penfold, who uh, is an expert in this area of restarts. We appreciate him so much for what he has shared with us so far. So we couldn't cover it all. And so we're going to go back and record a second one here in just a little bit. You're going to get both of these back-to-back uploaded. Uh, But for those of you listening today, if you heard something that you think has helped you be able to lead in your local church, let us know. Tell your friends about it. Tell your church leaders about it. Uh, Tell them to tune into this podcast and be sure to like our podcast and subscribe so that we can send you a notice every time we put a new one up. Now, this is Dr. Steve Sales saying thanks for listening. My prayer is that something we discuss on this podcast might help you help your church. God bless you, and thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for joining us for Revitalize and Restart. Make sure to visit our website, www.operation-transformation.org and subscribe to our show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to join us next time, and again, thanks for listening.